You were listening to a message from The Exchange in Pearl, Mississippi. To find out more about The Exchange, go to www.theexchange.cc. Well, today we're in part two of our December and Christmas series called The Word With Us. Um, The Word With Us. Now, last week, uh, we established that the greatest hope of Christmas um, is not actually your hope that you might get that shotgun with the new scope that you really, really want, okay? Um, Maybe you will, maybe you won't. I don't know. Uh, Maybe you'll kill Bambi with it. Who knows? Um, But maybe some of you, like, that's your biggest hope. Um, The greatest hope of Christmas is also not that, like, you won't burn the food when the family comes over, okay? For some of you, you're stressing about that, all right? You got, like, 15 days left to go. I don't know. We're going to get that recipe down. Um, Also, the greatest hope of Christmas, not that your kids or grandkids won't fight, okay? Because that's like, hello, is that not like a real thing? Um, Also, the greatest hope, some of you, this is where you live, moms, we know you, um, that your kids will have the greatest Instagram expression, okay, when you give them that gift that you've been saving for for months, like, because you got in your mind what they should look like, how they should react, okay, and you're going to get it posted and all that. Like, that's actually not the greatest hope of the season, okay? There's maybe some things you're thinking on, but the greatest hope of the Christmas season is this, that the Word came to be with us. That's it. And uh, last week, we started this series by acknowledging that in John 1, the Word, okay, it's a capital W, um, not meaning like a book, but the Word meaning proper noun, a person, and that person is Jesus. Okay, the Word is Jesus, and Jesus is the Word, and here, like, here is Christmas. Like, this is it. Christmas is the celebration of the earthly, like the down here in the flesh arrival of the Word. That's it. The word with us, Emmanuel, as we sang that earlier, means God coming to you. And so uh, in this series, we're opening up John chapter 1 to walk through that. So if you got a copy of Scripture, go with me. We're going to be there again today. John chapter 1. And if you don't have a copy of Scripture or maybe Bible app with you, all good. We'll put some verses on the screen for you to follow along with where I'll be reading. Now, throughout this series, we're looking at that chapter, John 1. We're going to go verses 1 through 18 eventually. And that's pointing us to what is the greatest hope of Christmas. Now, last week, if you were here, part 1, verses 1 through 5, we talked about how the Word overcomes Today, uh, if you can listen fast enough, we're going to go verses 6 through 13. 6 through 13. Uh, So let's pick up in John chapter 1, verse 6. Look at it on the screen, and uh, let's hear what the Word of God wants to say to us today. Uh, There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe he himself was not the light, but he came only as a witness to the light. Let's park right there. Um, Verse 6, John starts talking about John. Now, he's not talking about this John, but he's talking about another John. It's not John himself, but the other John. Okay, so it's not John John, but it's John. You got me? That was for you. Okay, no, this is John literally writing about John, but it's not the same John. He's not writing about himself. Okay, the guy who writes John, often known as John the Evangelist, is writing about another John known as John the Baptist, or also known as John the Baptizer, or today we're just going to call him JTB, okay? Because that's cool, all right? And here's, here's what Scripture teaches us if we dig a little deeper. The name John means this. It means God is gracious or gift of God. Now, if you've got a John in your family, you can determine if they fit the mold, all right? Don't raise your hand and look at them, all right? But here's what John means. God is gracious or gift of God. And verse 6 said that John the Baptist was what? He was sent by God. He was a gift of God. Now, we're going to understand what is that gift for. 
Um, last week, Jesus was referred to as the Word, and then by the time we got to verse 5, he was also referred to as the Light. Um, today, primarily, we're going to understand and hear Jesus referred to as the Light. So let's understand that. Verse 7 clearly states all right, that JTB's purpose was to point to the light, that all might believe in Jesus. Or we could say that the ultimate mission of John the Baptist was to draw people into belief in Jesus. Um, later in John chapter 1, it tells us that. There's an example of that. Let me show it to you. John 1.35 says the next day, John, talking about JTB, was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God, another name for Jesus, the Lamb of God, verse 37, watch this. When the two disciples heard him say this, they did what? They followed Jesus. John the Baptist was deliberately focused on bringing people to faith in Jesus as Messiah and as Savior, God in his sovereignty knew that he wanted to equip someone to prepare the way of the Lord. And so John the Baptist, that became his primary purpose and mission as a messenger. Now let me flip it around to you to ask you this question. Does your life prepare or prohibit the move of God? <coughs> no, like really. Does the way that you live your life point people to Jesus or away from him, okay? Like, let's go uh, cashier at the store, waiter at the restaurant. As you interact with them, right, does your life point to the love of God through you, or does it cause them to question if you even know God? Okay. Um, do the social media posts that you choose to share as an expression of who you are um, do they point people to God and his goodness, or do they leave people who follow you and watch wondering? Um, what about the way that you go to your job, the way that you act in your workplace, the way that you interact at school? Right? Do, does your life point to the person and the goodness of God in your life through you, or does it point others away or leave them questioning? Let me ask it this way. If those around you, if the only thing that they knew about Jesus was what Christ has done and shows through you, would they know Jesus? Okay. John the Baptist's primary purpose, he was sent as a messenger to prepare the way of the Lord, is what Scripture says. So I'm just saying for us today, as a, as a dad, as a college student, as a grandparent, does your life prepare or prepare? prohibit, slow down the move of God around you. Now, verse 8 um, said, it says, he himself was not the light. Who's talking about? He's talking about John the Baptist. says, he, John, was not the light. Now, why did John the evangelist feel the need to include this phrase that like, hey, John the Baptist is not the light. He's not the one that was coming. Well, here's why. A lot of commentators say that this was directed at a group of people that had listened to John the Baptist. They begin to follow his teaching. And even after John the Baptist is now gone, they're still leaning in thinking John the Baptist is the deal. And so John the evangelist, he writes this to go, hey, listen, John the Baptist prepared the way, but he wasn't the deal. It was Jesus, it was the Word who was going to be the deal, and that's what John the Baptist was trying to say the whole time. So may you take your eyes off of what John did, and may you put your eyes on Jesus. He himself was not the light, but he pointed to the light. 
Now, why, why does this play any level of significance for us today? Um, and here's why, because I think sometimes we can slip into the temptation um, to believe that we are the light. Stay with me. I'm not saying that any of us today are claiming to be Jesus, but here's where we do go. We can get to that place where we believe that it's our job or our role um, to save or fix everybody else around us. And I'm just very friendly as your pastor reminding you today, all right, that you are not the light, capital L, okay? And neither am I. <laughs> there's rest and there's peace in that. Whoo, thank you, okay? But for some of you, there's also, there needs to be a release in that. And what I'm saying is that it's not your job, it's not your God-given role to fix or save your spouse. It's not your job or your role to fix or save your kids or your parents or your coworkers or your crazy extended family or the neighbor. Listen to me. May God call you into a place to prepare the way. What does that look like? Um, and I think you could just like praying for them consistently <coughs> by name, that you intercede on their behalf. Um, I think it could mean uh, graciously speaking truth into their life as God gives moments to do that. Yep. Um, and then I think it means, men living such a life that it's, it's irresistible, it's so clear in you that Christ is real and that he's transformed your life. God didn't call you to fix or to save anyone, but he did call you to prepare the way of the Lord. And so here's what um, I'll kind of leave this point with, is that I believe that God in his sovereignty, he put you in your home. He put you at your workplace. He put you in your family, in your neighborhood, in your community, at your school. <coughs> Why? If you're in Christ, he put you there to prepare the way of God. Okay? And so every day, every moment, every word not spoken, every word spoken, you, you're either preparing or prohibiting the move of God through you. Now let's go back to our passage, pick up verse 9, John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Verse 10, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now here's the phrase I want us to see first, verse 9. John said, the true light, who's that? Jesus says, gives light to everyone coming into the world. Now, let's get to clarity of understanding. This did not mean that everyone in the world in that moment or everyone who would come into the world automatically got the light. Now, here's what it means. It means that everyone who would come into the world now had the chance to believe in the light, to know the light. Salvation through Jesus is not an inherited thing, as we'll talk about in a moment, but it's a gift of God through grace, through faith. Okay. Now, here's where I want us to focus for a moment. The tragedy of these verses, verse 9 through 11 that we just read, is really in verses 10 through 11. It said, the light, Jesus, came to the world that he made, and that which was his own, but the world did not recognize or receive him. Don't miss this. How unbelievably unfortunate and um, ironic is it that the creator came to the created, and the created did not even recognize its creator. It says the world did not even recognize him. As I read some commentators this week, it said, it said it's like he came home. 
He, it's not that he went to someone else's house and expected to be recognized. The world, the creation that he created that we read last week, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, all right, he was in creation. His own creation did not even recognize him. It's like if you go back home, okay, to your 10-year anniversary at your high school, all right, and you go to the homecoming, all right, and it's like, man, I helped establish this high school. I was one of the first classes at this high school, and just everybody ghosts you. No, no one even knew who you were. It says, the creator came to the created. And one commentator said there are really two astonishing facts in John chapter 1. The first is that God took on human nature. He took on flesh and he came among us. Astonishing. The second astonishing fact is that when the creator came to the created, it did not even want to have anything to do with him. Again, astonishing. Now, here's a question for us to wrestle with. Here's the second question of the day. Do you live, do you live in refusal or recognition of the light, capital L, for you as a mom, a wife, a grandmother, do, does your life on a daily, but does it live in refusal or recognition of the light who is Jesus? John says the creator came to the created, but the creator refused to acknowledge, refused to recognize, refused to know him. What happened? Why was that so? Well, here's the deal. The world didn't recognize him because people's minds had been blinded all right, by the fall and the sinfulness of humanity. That's the deal. That's what happened. That's why the creator, the created couldn't recognize the creator because of the, the blindness of the sin. You know what that highlights that connects to you and me today? That's the pull of sin on your life and mine. That it puts us in the dark to the point that we don't even recognize our creator. Um, in John chapter 12, Jesus has taught a lot of truth. He's done a lot of miracles and here's what still happens. Listen to what the people did. Um, John 12, 37, you see it on the screen. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. Now, in this moment, Jesus has done many miracles leading up to this. He had not yet been crucified and resurrected, but yet they'd seen all this and still didn't believe. Where do we live today? We live on the other side of the crucifixion, the other side of the resurrection, thank you Easter, the other side of the gift of the Holy Spirit, yet what is the unfortunate reality? That so many people still live in refusal of the light. How many of you uh, have ever watched the show Undercover Boss? Any Undercover Boss fan? Cool, all right, many more than 9.30, okay? I'm gelling with you, 9.30 was rough today. Um, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I love them too. Uh, Undercover Boss, for those of you who maybe you've never seen Undercover Boss, we love it at my house. Here's the premise of Undercover Boss, okay, just to spoil it so that you don't have to binge it, is the Undercover Boss, they go to a, a company, and the CEO, the boss uh, of the company goes undercover, thus the name, they put on this disguise, and then they go and they, they work alongside people throughout the company. And the workers, the employees that they're working with, don't recognize them because the disguise is that legit. And they don't even realize they're working for the boss, the founder, the CEO of this huge, massive company. And so the CEO goes and does all these little jobs. And because they fail to recognize who they're actually working with, um, they just start oversharing. Okay, you got that friend in your life? Okay, praise the Lord for our oversharing friends. Um, they just overshare. Like they're sharing about their personal life and all that's going on. And then they start oversharing about their job, okay? And like, they're like, man, the company's amazing in this way. And then they go, and the company stinks in this way. And they start oversharing all the negative things about their job. And you're watching it just going like, oh no, you're going to regret that. Like, don't, don't say that. Don't do that. The very end of the show is this. 
the employees all go and they sit one-on-one across from the boss who then reveals their identity. And the most captivating moment of the whole, whole show is always when the employee has this like, oh no moment, okay? <laughs> like, <clears throat> and they really immediately, I mean, you can just see it. Like they begin evaluating everything in their life at that point. It's like evaluating, uh, what did I say? Like when we did that job, like how did I act? Did I do a good job? Did I overshare? Yes, you did. I'm guaranteeing you overshare, okay? And they, they share all this. And then ultimately it's really cool because the boss ends up generously blessing some of their needs. But every show, there's always that oh no moment. Why? Because at that point, they recognize that the boss was with them. You with me? As I thought about that this week, I thought, man, is that in some way a really mild reflection of what it could be like for you and me when we stand face to face with our Creator as the created? And as scripture says, we give an account of our life. And maybe for some of you, as you think about that, you go, oh no. Because <laughs> you think about how you acted or what you did or the fact that I mean, Jesus wasn't really a priority for you. And, and I'm just saying, how, how do you avoid that? Like, how do you avoid that one moment, eternal significance of oh no? I think the answer today John's pushing us towards is, man, you, just, you live every day in recognition of the light. That if the word came to be with us, he's, he's with us. He's here. He's with you or he's leading you. He's calling you. How do you live your life in recognition of the word? One commentator that I read this week said this. Don't miss this phrase. He says, the world's characteristic reaction to the word who is Jesus is one of indifference. You believe that? I know as I look at our world, turn on the news, scroll social, whatever your thing is. As I look at a lot of people's lives that men I share life with, more and more uh, our world is becoming characteristically indifferent to the word or the light who is Jesus. So let me ask you, just man, in a moment, is the word challenges, there's challenges in our life right now, okay? I'm asking you to do some real heart evaluation. Do you live life? in indifference to the light? Honestly. Now, not right now. You're at church. woo Okay? But I'm talking about tomorrow. You're 8 to 5. You're 7 to 4. You're school. You're whatever. Your social circle. Like, do, do you typically live life in indifference to the word? What does that mean? What does that mean to live in indifference? Well, I tried to put a little bit of a definition of explanation on it. And I just think at the core, one way we could say this, at the core, it means that we consistently value things of the earth more than we value relationship with God. So, like, what does that even practically mean, maybe even right now? Well, it means, like, what, what's the biggest buzz and priority at your house right now in this season? Like, the greatest season of the year, is it, like, man, how do we get all the gifts bought so that everyone gets all their wants met and we get the perfect thing for whatever it costs, however much have to sacrifice. I'm not saying gifts are wrong, but like, is that the greatest push? Or are we trying to figure out at least some way to elevate God's gift of Jesus as actually the greatest gift in our house so that my kids know, so that your grandchildren are aware? No, we know what culture is telling, right? Jesus is not the priority of the season. Um, so therefore, what? 
it reflects that the world has grown indifference to, to the light. Um, what about, I mean, how about this? Your, your time, your energy, your resources. Not just Christmas, but like as you live life, um, do you use your time and energy and resources? It, do you consider when you think about, hey, this is my allotment of energy and time and resources, do you think about, I man, how do I use that, leverage that um, to be a give life person so that I bless others in my, my church or my community or those that God's given me to interact? Or, or is it just primarily like you think about your time, your energy, your resources, and you just go, man, how do I leverage this for my personal gain or personal comfort? Um, or what about this? When you think about your schedule, just day to day, this one's for me. And do you think about, I mean, just do you, do you prioritize just the busyness and the chaos and the productivity of checking off your boxes? Or is it even considered in your day to day? I mean, how do I, how do I make time allotment to, to slow down enough to hear the voice of God in my life? Okay. Much of the world just lives, I mean, they live in difference to the light. And here, here's what I wrote down. Every day that we live in difference is one day closer to living a life of indifference. And I don't know about you, but I'm getting a little bit older every day. And like, man, this whole life thing is going fast, like really fast. And so for me to live my Monday as indifferent is just one more step in me potentially living a life that's indifferent. And um, and today the question is, do you live in recognition or refusal of the light in your life? Now, let me close out this point with this. A lot of people equate knowing Jesus, okay? So you go, well, no, I want to be in recognition of Jesus, so I know him, I know him. And here's what we mean by that. Um, Knowing Jesus, for most of us, we would say that simply means I know some facts about Jesus, okay? Or I know some Bible stories. Like, we've done the church thing for a little while. I could give you five Bible stories. We could go Noah's Ark. We could tell you Easter. I could give you Christmas. All right, we, we, we intellectually know some things. But let me challenge that. Because what John says here, when, when he talks about knowing God, knowing Jesus, he uses the word know, K-N-O-W. It's the same version of the word that's used in Genesis 4, verse 1, where Scripture said this. It says, Adam knew Eve, Adam knew Eve, and watch this, Adam knew Eve, and they had children. You with me? That is not a primarily intellectual, I know some facts, knowledge. Tracking with me? And so to know Jesus, to know God, to worship him, to bow down before him, as we said, is not just to know some facts and know some stories, but it is to live with a a daily awareness of him and a continual desire to be intimately acquainted with him. So let me end with this question on this point. If God spoke to you tomorrow during your day, if he interrupted your Monday at work, school, wherever your Monday will be, and he, in, he wanted to interrupt that day to say something to you, to you, would you even know it's him? Like, are you, are you aware enough of the light, recognition enough of the light in your life that you'd know, man, God, I think you're speaking to me. And you want me to go share. You want me to do this. You want me to stop. You want me to pursue. Whatever that thing is. So the question today, are, are you living life in, in recognition or refusal of the light? Because he's with us. So every day we're choosing one or the other. Now let's close out our passage today. John 1 verse 12 and 13. These are our final two verses for today. It says, Yet to all who did receive him, 
to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 13, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. John says, while much of the world, um, verses uh, 10 and 11, did refuse him, good news today, okay, a little hopeful there were people who received the light of Jesus in this moment. He said there were some who did receive or believed in him. And what happened? What was the result? We just read it, that God gave them this eternal, invaluable gift to be called, what did it say? Children of God. To be called children. Now, the Greek word here for children is the word technon. That's kind of fool, kind of sounds like techno bowl. All right, shout back. Um, here's what that word meant. Technon meant it was the name given to the intimate and reciprocal relationship of love, friendship, and trust between parents and children. I love that definition. There's something special about the bond of a parent-child relationship in there. Now, let me not go so far as to forget that, men, for some of you, maybe you lived in or you are living in a very broken picture of a parent-child relationship. Um, but I believe God's intended created purpose is for that parent-child relationship to be what that definition just was, this reciprocal relationship of love, friendship, joy, trust. Okay? Now, here's where we make this applicable today. In our culture, we tend to believe and we even tend to say that we're all God's children. Heard that before? I would say here that John argues that truth. In verse 12, he said, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he did what? He gave the right to become children of God. John didn't say everyone, but he said to those who believed and received him. We could say it this way. We're all God's creation, but we're not all God's children. And John goes on in verse 13. He says, children not born of natural descent, human decision, or husband's will, but born of God. Here's what Scripture's pushing us to. Scripture's saying those who are children of God, who are spiritual children in the family of God, are those who are born again. Now, let me put some Scripture on this. John chapter 3, verse 5. Watch this moment. Jesus answered. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God. No one can know him, be with him eternally. Life abundant starts now. Unless what? Unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. That's how you and I arrived on planet earth. But the spirit, capital S, gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Now the one, if I'm reading this right, it says the one who has the right to be called children of God are those who have been born again. So here's the third question I want us to all think on for a moment. Have you just been born or have you been born again? Have you merely been born or have you truly been born again? And John just lays out this question for his readers and for you and me. And it's a question with eternally, okay, eternally massive significance for your life and mine. Now, he begins to explain what born again is not. And some of those phrases I highlighted a second ago, let me dig into those for just a second. He says to be born again is not a birth by natural descent. What does that mean? In other words, it don't matter who your mom and daddy were. 
There were people in this moment who said, hey, we're children of Abraham. We're descendants of Abraham. Therefore, we must be spiritual children of God. And John says, no, 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 no. God doesn't have grandchildren. It's not of natural descent. In other words, you and I, we're, we're not born again because of who our mom and dad were. Because our grandparents went to church a lot and we went with them. Or because daddy was a deacon and mama played the piano. All right? Or because our sister's brother's uncle was a preacher. Okay? John says, we're not born again because of natural descent. Then he goes on, he says, we're not born again. Born again is not a product of human's decision, human decision. This phrase could also be interpreted, maybe it's in your Bible, as the will of the flesh. Here's what John's saying. In that day and even today, there are droves of people who believe they can be born again into God's family by doing enough good things. Surely, if you go to church enough, and if you help enough people, and if you try to sin less than 90% of your Facebook friends, okay, then clearly that carries some level of merit in eternity, right? And John says, wrong. No, we, we cannot be born again by human decision. And then finally, he closes out with this phrase. Look at this one, verse 13. He closed out by saying, born again also does not come through a husband's will. What does he mean? Well, he's specifically, literally speaking to the choice of a husband to be a part of bearing and producing children. Now, here's what he's saying. In the same way, you and I cannot will ourselves into being a child of God. Okay? No matter how many scripture verses you know or can quote, how many Bible stories, how many Christmas Eve services you've been to, no matter how hard you try to be good in a really broken world, we're going to be different, my family's going to be... No matter how hard you try it and will it, it's not producing you the inheritance of being born again as a child of God. So if all those things won't lead us to being born again, then what does? What, what, what is the right path to walk in? Right? And so here's what I want to give you as we kind of land the plane today. What does what it scripturally mean to be born again? Now listen, when, when some of you hear that, if you've done church long enough, you're like, oh my goodness, I know that. I could teach that. All right? And so listen, maybe for you today, God's, God's prompting you a reminder so that you can be accurate and sharing that with someone else. Or maybe today, you're having to really wrestle with that question now. I've done church. I know Jesus factually. But I don't know if I've been spiritually born again. And today, and God's opening up your heart and your mind, as you do what we said earlier, here, here I am. And he's saying, I'm meeting you there. So I want you to maybe write this down. I'm just going to give you four very simple, yet biblical, yet theological steps in this born-again process. First is to acknowledge sin, right? Or the, the biblical theological word is just confession. Being born again starts with coming to the place where you acknowledge that there is sin in your life that separates you from relationship with God. And we want to break it really, really far down. What is sin? Well, I love how our kid life uh, family defines sin. They say sin is anything you think, say, or do that displeases God. You got some of that up in your life? Because I got a lot of it, all right? So what do I do? I acknowledge that. And what's the, what's the worst part about sin? That I mess up? No, it's that it, it breaks the relationship with God. I'm the created, he's the creator. And when I sinned, which was like day one for me, um, it broke that relationship. 
And so part of being born again is what is you acknowledge that. Let me give you a verse. Psalm 32 verse 5 says this. Then I did what? I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover up my iniquity. All right, that's what most of the world does. But I said, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what did he do? Did he condemn me for it? No, and hello, and he forgave. You forgave the guilt of my sin. Acknowledge sin. What's the second part of being born again? To turn from sin. Where the church word we use is repentance. You heard that one before? Most of us have. So being born again means not just acknowledging I got sin, but then there's a, there's a repenting and turning from sin in a, in a willing, spirit-empowered decision. It's not man up, muster up, oh, I'm going to turn. But His Holy Spirit meets me in that and softens my heart to go, man, I acknowledge my sin. Um, I'm, re- I'm really sorry for what my sin's done to my relationship with God. And um, I'm turning to walk in a new way. Why? Because the Holy Spirit empowers me to do that. It's not be better, but it's surrender. What's a verse to go with that? Look at this, Acts 3.19. I love this. It says, repent then and do what? There's our phrase, and turn to God. What happens? So that your sins may be wiped out. That's good news today. And here's the end result. Watch this. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You know some of the greatest moments of relief and rest and refreshing in my life when I'm willing enough to confess what's going on. Now the enemy don't want me to do it, but on the back side of it, it's Acts 3.19. It's times of refreshing. So we acknowledge our sin. We turn from our sin. Here's the third one. Write this one down. We trust in Jesus' payment for sin. Or here's the big theological word maybe you've heard, justification. Being born again means realizing the only thing that can save you from your sin and that can pay for your sin is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's why Easter is such a big deal. And that's why as the New Testament church, every week's Easter. Because what it's saying is that none of your goodness, no matter how much you go to church, how many Bible stories you know, who your mom and daddy were, all right, none of your good works will make you right, which is what justification means, to make right. None of that will make you right with God. Let me give you this verse, Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified, made right through what? Through faith. Not our works, but through faith. We then have what? We have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. He went first. He made a way. Here's the final part. Okay, we acknowledge sin. We turn from that sin, we acknowledge Jesus' payment, and then we grow in righteousness. Or here's the big theological word that you can use at lunch today, sanctification. What does that mean? Sanctification is the process of continually becoming like Jesus. For me, that means when I came to know Jesus at nine years old, there's a very limited understanding of what sanctification and the rest of my life needed to look like. But since that moment at nine years old, God's been growing me, and sometimes it's two steps forward, one step back, all right? But he's growing me in the sanctification process to grow me in righteousness and Christ-likeness. Hear this. When Jesus saves you, when you are born again, you're not just saved from sin, but here it is. You are saved for righteousness. So how do you know somebody's really been born again? How do you know somebody's really a follower of Jesus? Well, they live with a continual desire to walk in that awareness and intimacy with Jesus. They, they never get to the point where they go, well, I think I made it. 
but there's a continual process of growing in Christ-likeness and righteousness. Let me give you one last verse, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says, may God himself, the God of peace, do what? There's our word. Sanctify you. May he cleanse you. May grow you in Christ-likeness and righteousness. And I love these words that got thrown in there. Where? Where would he do that? Through and through. What does that mean? That means there's no dark closets in my life. That means there's nothing off limits to God. You sure? You tell him everything? Yep. You let him have control of everything? Yep. Why? Because I've been born again. And so he sanctifies me through and through. What? So may your whole spirit, soul, and body be what? Be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what I want you to see. Nowhere in those verses we talk about what it means to be born again. Nowhere in those verses did it say anything about who your family is, about how many times you've been to church, about how hard you've tried to be good or different than your friends, or about how badly you want to be known as a Christian. And here's why I felt like God wanted me to spend some time on that today, because there are people in our city, in our community, in your neighborhood, and maybe even in this room, who are putting their hope this Christmas that they are known as a child of God because of an emotional feeling that they once had, because they walked an aisle in a church service at some point in their life, or because they repeated a prayer that someone just told them they should repeat. Can God use those moments as catalyst in our journey to know him? I believe so. But nowhere in there did John call us to that, but he called us to acknowledge our sin, to turn from it through repentance, to trust in Jesus' payment, and then to live a life that grows in righteousness. So to me, the greatest question for all of us today is have you merely only been born or have you truly been born again? You see, the word came to be with us, watch this, not just so that you could have a physical birth into life, but so that you might be born again into the hope of eternal life. So have you, have you been truly, biblically born again to be a child of God? Scripture says the light word is with us. It has come, and as a result, it causes us to ask do I live my life in a way that prepares or prohibits the move of God through me? Am I going to live this week every day in refusal or recognition that Jesus is the light, that he's in me? And finally, and maybe most importantly, have I merely just been born or have I truly and biblically been born again? Christmas is the celebration of Jesus coming to be with us. During this Christmas season, we are looking at God's word to us in John 1 that highlights God's greatest gift to us in sending Jesus to be the word in flesh. Jesus came as a light in the darkness and as hope in the hopelessness. The good news of Christmas is that Jesus came to bring truth and hope to your life. No matter what your life or faith journey may look like this Christmas, God wants you to personally experience his love, his joy, and his peace. We would love to pray for and encourage you as you seek to know Jesus and live in relationship with him. You can get the conversation started today by simply texting your first name to 601 601- 
397-6111. By sending us a direct message or through our website, our ministry team would love to pray for you and walk with you in your faith this Christmas. As we close out our time today and prepare to scatter as a church, let's speak our declaration together. We believe the great exchange took place when Jesus, who had no sin, became sin for us so we could know God. We exist to see people exchange their old life for new life in Christ and live out their purpose. Christ's love compels us to exchange ideas for truth. God's word is our standard. Selfishness for serving, we will serve others. Pleasing for reaching, we will share our faith. Keeping for dispersing, we will make disciples. Forgetting for celebrating, we will praise God. We are the church.